Hello, you're listening to Film Grays. I'm Emmett. I'm Sam. We're from the band Phil Graves and we're going to talk about film in lieu of making rock and roll music once again. Today's episode is largely going to focus on the recently launched programme for the 63rd London Film Festival. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about uh, the souvenir, Joanna Hogg's new film and some of her other work, and Pedro Almodovar's new film, Pain and Glory. So about a week ago, the highly anticipated, the Mm. full programme for the London Film Festival launched and was sent out. They haven't decided to go paperless this year, but (laughs) I'm kind of glad about that. They have quite a comprehensive website also, but... It's a bit hard to use that old BFI website though, you know. You know what, I actually, it was sort of bugging out for me. It was like misdirecting. Doesn't matter, we love you BFI, it never changed. Well, in my life I got to see like really legendary films for the first time there. I saw Zama with Lucretia Martel and I was sitting in the front row. Yeah, it's such a good film. Right. It was sick. Yeah? She said in the Q&A, like, I like it when people fall asleep in my films because it means they're comfortable and I say that's a heart. <laughs> and like... But now I'm 20, 26, I feel like I'm not going to be reaching as much as usual. No, fuck, how much did you say tickets were? It used to be like £4, and now I think full price is like £20. Yeah, come on, that is pretty prohibitive. If we've got any film grades listeners who are under 25 and want to do us a favour, get in the DMs, you know what I'm saying. But if I did have the money to go to the film festival loads... Oh my God, there's so much. There's so much, you know. I love when the programme drops... One of the best things is the running times coming out. Oh, yeah. Finding out that <laughs> Ryan Johnson's Knives Out is 15 minutes longer than David Copperfield, an adaptation yeah. of a 700 page novel. I think Knives Out looks pretty jokes, to be honest. Yeah, yeah good, good feedback from Toronto. Is that right? Yeah, it sounds fun. I think just conceptually, these sort of films can be fun. They should be fun, mm. especially with big ensemble casts and stuff like that. Shan and I watched uh, Murder Mystery. Yeah, oh, my Lord. Is it the most watched film of 2019? That's no, crazy. Netflix don't release this, I think, but more people saw it than, like, Endgame or something like that. No way. Knives Out looks better than that, you'd say? I think so. I mean, Murder Mystery is shit. We'll this one looks way more playful, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't say in the programme who did write it, but... It's Ryan Johnson. He wrote it I well. think he... I assume oh, yeah. he wrote duh, it. Duh, duh, <laughs> Of the other gala screenings, though, I think that the Irishman I would see, at least if I was trying to get my money's worth, this film is 210 minutes long. Fuck yeah, but you can catch that on Netty as well. I don't know, this is Martin Scorsese's film about the killing of Jimmy Hoffa. Pretty significant, but as you say, it will be out on Netflix. I think it will be great. I want to see the two popes of the gala screening, because, you know, I love pope films. This one's made by Fernando Morellas, who made Constant Gardener and Motorcycle Diaries, two charity shop classics. <laughs> Cool. It's got Jonathan Price, who is a bit of a, a doppelganger, really, for your old um, Francis. The Lighthouse looks great. Yeah, The Witch is, I mean, one of the best films of the decade. We're both Which is a ridiculous thing to say. Definitely not. I'd go around saying no, that kind I mean of thing to all the sort time. Of, um, to rank films in by decade, I guess, is an arbitrary... You're not going to like what plans I have for this podcast. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's up there for me. Mm. I think The Witch is great. It's um, Robert Eggers, a great like horror story, really. Mm-hmm. Probably the best like horror story I've ever seen on film, actually, in its naturalism. It's got Chris Finch from The Office in it. That's yeah. all you need to know. Uh, and it's all done in like this, like sort of like Jacobean seventeenth-century parlance. It's just such a good film, actually. But The Lighthouse, pff. I think The Lighthouse looks really sick because similar to The Witch. I haven't seen the trailer, but it seems to be again period dialogue. This is sort of set in 
New England and 19th century Moby Dick era features Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson talking like the, the character from The Simpsons, you know? Come to a cinema amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll cover both films by Robert Eggers in greater detail on this podcast. What else are you looking forward to? That's kind of the big ones of the gala ones. Of the films in official competition, then, is there any you're looking forward to that look... I hadn't really heard of any of the filmmakers. Yeah, the ma- okay, the main one is Fanny Lloyd Delivered. It sounds quite similar to The Witch, actually. I was just going to say that, yeah. Um, you know, it's a 17th century story about Puritanism. This one in England rather than New England. And it's got Maxine Peake. I think that looks super interesting. Who directed it? This guy Thomas Clay, who I, I don't know. It's also got Charles Dance in it as well. Fucking legend. There were some Irish films in the competition I saw, actually, or in the first feature competition. Yeah, we got uh, Calm With Horses. I don't know, I really don't want to review these films before we've seen them too much. I don't really have too much yeah, to say about it. I think I think there are so many debuts, actually, that I'm, I'm interested in. There's one in particular called The Unknown State by a Moroccan filmmaker called Aladdin Aljam. It's about, uh, like, a bandit who stows away uh, his, like stash and then when he goes back to get it a cult has developed like a little micro economy or community has developed around it i think that sounds pretty intriguing the gold laden sheep and the sacred mountain i really want to see that yeah this indian director uh was it rhythm janve sorry man yeah it looks beautiful i think and it's just about um it's a sort of like quest film with um i guess the intersection between religion and i think a, a plane crashes and they have to go through the Sacred Mountain. I'm a big fan of sheep. There's another debut film that I'm interested in. is by a French director or a French animator called Jeremy Clapin. And it's called I Lost My Body. I love uh, like traditional animation, hand-drawn animation. Mm. We're both big fans of Ardman or whatever. But... Huge fans. And it's, a, it's about a hand, a detached hand. Like I... cousin, cousin It. Is that Cousin It? What's that? One of the Adams family is just a hand that like walks Oh, around. yeah, 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 exactly. Or like the boss in Super Smash Bros, you know, that you have to fight the giant. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, that animation looks really cool. Traditional animation. Still in vogue, apparently, at the London Film Festival. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I guess it, I guess hand drawing now is you use like tablets and technology and or yeah. different technology to rotoscoping or to, to other, do the same other forms. That people used of, to do yeah. in more drawn out um, but I think that looks really cool. And I mean, there are even more debuts that are, I think are intriguing. Anyway, sorry, there's one more. Is it Simon Bird's debut feature? <laughs> no, but that looks pretty jokes, actually. Sure That's about be. like a metalhead kid yeah. and his like single mum or something. I don't know. Maybe it will be charming. Uh, the Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Which... Big hit at Sundance. Yeah, it's been really well received uh, on the festival circuit. And mm. um, it's about, I guess, gentrification in San Francisco... I think it's... Um, it's like docu-fiction or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. I think the filmmaker cast is like best friend and it's loosely based on their experience. Mm. Fun asterisk. This Fred Jimmy Fails, I actually met him. He probably doesn't remember me in like 2013. And remember we talked about uh, Lil B, MF Doom. Wow. And The Killers. I remember he loved Smile Like You Mean It. But I'm looking forward to seeing The the Last Black Man in San Francisco. It does look really good visually as well. Those are just the debuts. Yeah. Let's move on to the restorations. Yeah. The only films we may have seen before. You've seen The Boom World. I've seen a couple. I feel like my DVD copy of Los Olvidados, The Young and the Damned. This is a Bunuel film from uh, 1950. A film he made in Mexico and it was actually probably his international breakthrough film. Because, I mean, the surrealist films, Large Door, 
Anshi and Andalou, like, were obviously seen as, like, art films and, like, influenced cinema. But as a narrative filmmaker, Los Olvidados is probably, yeah, I think it won a prize at, like, Venice or Cannes when it came out. It's a really great film just about street life in, like, a Mexican village. There's some kids. There's, like, an older kid who's, like, Varongan, but he influences the younger kid. And then he, like, starts chirps in his mom. And there's a blind man who has shit thrown at him. It's <laughs> big Bunuel film. Looking forward to seeing a nice restoration that actually premiered in Bologna at Il Cinema Ritrovado. Oh, legendary. This year, so you can see that at NFT1 on the 3rd of October or NFT3 on the 10th of October. Yeah, and there are a few more restorations that are definitely worth talking about. Love, Life and Laughter. I've got a decal of that on my wall. Nice. Yeah, I've also nice. got the pillow as well. <laughs> but it looks really joke. It's 1923. I guess it's a comedy. I'm down. You want to watch Ride Lonesome? I really want to watch Ride Lonesome. I'm a big fan of the... Bud Betica, Randolph Scott series, Love Seven Men from Now and The Tall T. But I haven't managed to see Ride Lonesome yet. A lot of people say it's one of the great ones. And I'm down to see a Western in NFT1 projected. I feel like that's just increasingly rare these days. But yeah, one of a classic series. They're all supposed to be about as good as each other. They all got Randolph Scott in them. And yeah, Ride Lonesome was actually the namesake of a BFI series a few years ago of psychological westerns. I didn't manage to see it then, Damn. but I'm down to see this new print. There are a couple of French uh, films from the 20s that oh, yeah. are worthy of, of attention. Absolutely. we got Jan Epstein's Fini Terre, The End yeah. of the World. That looks great. Yeah, kind of experiment, 29. experimental documentary. It looks quite similar to um, Apropos Denise by Jan Vigo which is another, like, very visionary kind of influenced by, like, Ziga Verdoff and, like, City Symphonies and, like, these kind of really worth watching. And then uh, Paris Kidor from 24, and that that is, like, a sci-fi about uh, the everyone disappearing from Paris. Sounds like a Twilight Zone episode or something yeah. like that. They fall asleep on top of the Eiffel Tower and then come down and there's only a few people there. Yeah, uh, hopefully we get the chance to see these at some point. I don't know when they <laughs> where we might... For me, this is probably what I would focus on as a punter of the film yeah, festival. I, I think, think it's, that's what, yeah. If I was to spend my money on screenings, it'd probably be to see these. But then, might as well just go to Bologna for that, innit? Maybe yeah, next year. Next year. Those are treasures. There's also The Elephant Man by David Lynch, his second feature, which has a nice big screening on a Sunday afternoon in NFT1. That is a really, really beautiful film. I'm sure the restoration will look great. That's the treasure section, though. I've got to say, I have seen some really good things in that in the past. I saw the Howard Hawks Scarface in a really packed screening at NFT1 last year. And I saw this film, Shiraz, a silent film about the building of the Taj Mahal that went on to have a big BFI reissue. Cool. And that, I think, is a proper, maybe more like life, love and laughter one of these things that was actually just like a proper rediscovered from the archives that then probably got shown in more cinemas on the reissue than it was like at the time. Films from uh, directors that you know, because I guess that's what largely, if you were to go see a film, would probably be by a director that, that you're already somewhat familiar with. So, um, yeah, you'd, okay, I mean, uh, all right, Jojo Rabbit, for example, Taika Waititi's new anti-hate satire, is that what it's called, about... Um, Nazis. About Nazis, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I like his work. Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> I think it's going to be... I think it will be good, to be honest. Yeah, it looks pretty jogs. Um Oh, Waiting for the Barbarians. Yeah, yeah. I'm, really, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. I actually went to see Chiro Guerra talk last year, in, not introducing, but outroducing, I guess. introducing <laughs> Birds of Passage, which I really loved. That was out last year. He also made Embrace the Serpent, which is one of my favourite modern films. 
Yeah, this, this one looks great. This is it's... an English language debut. It's got Johnny Depp and Robert Pattinson in it. Hasn't been too warmly received, but I do really, really want to see it. Mm, it looks like it's dealing with very similar themes to his previous work, which yes. is an uh, interesting project. Staying on the South American tip, I also want to see Emma by um, Pablo Lorraine after his oh. English language debut with Jackie, which is a film I love. Oh, it's really good. This is about a reggaeton dancer in Chile, I guess. And it's got Gael Garcia Bernal in it. Great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be great. He's a great filmmaker. I think he's got a lot of themes in his work, especially in his Chilean work that are really consistent. The Club is a film that's really worth seeking out of one of his lesser seen works. But yeah, I love Pablo Lorraine and I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to Zombie Child by Bertram Bonello. He's made quite a few quite sick films. He made Nocturama from a couple of years ago, which I really loved, which is a Netflix film, so you can watch that. And Zombie Child was actually out when I was in France, but I didn't go see it because... I don't speak French, but I might go see that. Um, yeah. It's set in a girl's boarding school and it's about voodoo. That looks really good. Cool. If I can get one more of directors whose films I really love. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Girlhood was really good and um, Celine Siama's new film Portrait of a Lady on Fire is supposed to be really sick, actually. Yeah, it looks really interesting. It does look really good. That's a, um, I guess it's a film that uncovers, you know, a lived experience of, like, women painters or creators mm-hmm. um, in the pre- Modern post-industrial world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a woman commissioned to paint some, a, portrait. Uh, a, a portrait. By all accounts, it's meant to figure and it looks really, really good. Could be a big film. I do want to go see that. And Girlhood. I mean, everyone knows Girlhood was an extraordinary film. Sam, have you got any more films you would catch if you had unlimited pounds yeah, and definitely. time to spend on going to see films at the London Film Festival? Absolutely. Well, firstly, I have all the time in the world. Uh... There are so many. Okay, uh, there's a film about the Rock Against Racism movement. This is a documentary by a seen British filmmaker, Ruby Kashar. It's called White Riot. Rock Against Racism was... Uh, it kicked off after Eric Clapton uh, made like a really reactionary speech during a festival performance. And this was a movement which, I guess, sought to bring a sense of social justice or egalitarianism via music you know yeah. when when these uh music types were potentially quite divisive and had i guess subcultures within them more violent or more racist yeah. or i guess it's tied into a lot of the, the birth of the punk movement which was rooted in like anti-fascism two-tone scar punk all of these things were about combating racism i guess any Stru- iconographic framework can be co-opted though and mm. um We'll watch the documentary and find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that should or, be great. Oh, hopefully it'll be great. With documentaries, you never know. You never know. But Miles Davis documentary also looks pretty good. And The Art of Cinematic Sound, I would go see that. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm interested in that one. Be good um, to go see in a cinema. Any more documentaries? Nah, I never no. watch documentaries. Okay, there are one or two more then. Uh, the Painted Bird. That looks brilliant. I'm not sure if it actually is a Holocaust drama or, or whether like, you know that that's like the... That, I mean, it looks visually astonishing, yeah. I guess. And, you know, it's a subject that will always be explored through, through film. And of course. Maybe a little Ivan's childhood vibes off this one. Ah, uh, definitely. Perhaps. It's a Czech film. Yeah, Václav Marhu. Um, oh, apparently it was a very famous yeah. novel. Wow. <laughs> one for the fans to... of the book, then, I guess. I guess so. It's been compared to a cross between The Bicycle Thieves and Hard to Be a God, yeah. which is... Uh, Giving me goosebumps a little bit. For yeah, us. I mean, it's black and white, so, and... It's 170 minutes, 169 oh, okay. minutes. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right, I think, oh my, there are so many, though. Okay, yeah. really quickly then, Judy and Punch looks like a uh, pretty interesting Oh, film. yeah, Australian film. 
Yeah, um, that looks really interesting. It's, it was like a Punch and Judy origin story yeah. with a feminist revenge spin. It looks really interesting. It sounds though. dope, actually, to be honest. Yeah, uh, There's an alarming amount of films starring Shia LaBeouf. I've counted at least oh three. Oh, God. Oh, well, we're not going to... I'm not interested. Little Joe? Looks cool. That looks That great. looks really interesting about a botanist to, um, uh, I guess it's like a sci-fi, maybe elements of body horror again. Yeah, sounds like, like Francis's uh, film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's got Ben Whishaw, pretty reliable, if you ask me. And then um, Deerskin. Okay, yeah. yeah. Deerskin, I I probably will go and see, to be honest. I think it would be a good... You know, this guy, Mr. Wazo. What a director. Yeah, what's his name? What? He's like, Mr. Ozo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quentin Dupuis. Is Mr. Wazo the like DJ? You'll hear the Phil Graves cover that under, underneath this. Yeah, he just makes these crazy like exploitation no horror idea. films. You should watch Robber. I think that was his debut film about a tire. That's just. Uh... This sounds maybe sort of like in fabric. Yeah, it sounds a lot like in fabric actually, doesn't it? Haunted jacket. Well, yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> 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 All right, that is the 63rd London Film Festival. If we get, if we win this 147 million jackpot this weekend, <laughs> maybe you will see us at a few screenings. Alternatively, the BFI could decide to introduce a under 30 discount, like the rail, like the um, rail cards. That would also be cool. But that is what we would go see. Plus more and and more. We would we would be there the whole time. Stay tuned into Film Grays. We're going to talk about some new films. Alright, so you made it through part one, and now we're going to talk about some films that we've actually seen. Yes. Two autobiographical dramas, one by the Spanish auteur Pedro Almodovar, long career, and I guess this film is sort of reflecting on that, as well as on his personal life, Pain and Glory. And then Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir. Part one. Part, oh my. A New Hope. <laughs> oh my god. Let's start with the Almodovar, shall we? Yeah. I feel like you're f- more familiar with the films of Almodovar than I am, really. You say that, but I think I'm in a bit of a weird position. I'm sure a lot of people who are my age may also just be that way. Where I've seen like most of his films since Bad Education. I've seen Volver, Broken Embraces, Julieta, The Skin I Live In. But not that familiar with the work that he's actually sort of famous for before he just became early like legend phase you know and also i guess the voice of a uh, spanish cinema <laughs> yeah he's literally the most famous spanish filmmaker i feel bunuel my fave didn't make many films in spain and victor Enrique only made two films although they are classics but yeah as well as being sort of one of the foremost new queer cinema artists he was also a very very popular spanish filmmaker films like women on the verge of a nervous breakdown all about my mother, talk to her. But I guess Pain and Glory is, as you say, about a, a legendary filmmaker or a filmmaker who's sort of past it or like in the phase where they're doing sort of 30th anniversary screenings of their films and having to like evaluate how significant their old films were, even if they feel alienated from it. The sort of central plot of this film sees Antonio Banderas' character. He's well, great in it, of course. He is fantastic. Yeah, he's sort of cast into Proustian reveries largely by having to like introduce a... 30th anniversary repertory screening of his film Sabor and reconnect with the star of that who he's been estranged from. Yeah. It's also about his relationship and memories of his mother. Played by Penelope Cruz. Very um, regular presence in Almodovar's work. The film starts with a really distracting 
sequence actually. The first scene is his his mum and Rosalia. I don't know. You haven't listened is. to her album or anything. I don't know who she is. She's an excellent sort of flamenco reggaeton singer. And she's also like one of the biggest Spanish pop stars of all time internationally. So her presence, like introducing the film by like singing, was really, really distracting. But the film settled in. She could have reappeared and it would have been cool. But yeah, there's flashback sequences where he's remembering his childhood, like early sexual awakening and him living with his mom in this sort of cave. It looked pretty cool. It's supposed to be yeah, miserable. The Tatooine vibes. Yeah, you know? certainly. With the cool, like, skylight. I don't know, visually and for, throughout the sets as well. It is, like, really good filmmaking. It didn't really strike a chord with me, I've got to say, in general. Maybe because I'm not that familiar with him as a cinematic voice. Mm -hmm. Like, I haven't really seen any of his films. And I feel like this is obviously loaded with references to his own personal experience mm -hmm. and... Um, well, it's quite a confessional film in a way. A large sort of theme is him. Yeah, definitely. Sort of having really serious problems with heroin. And he says he's never like done it before, but over the period of time that this film portrays, he's like seriously into it. Yeah, represented quite breezily, but without humour as well. Yeah. So I thought it was just quite a strange yeah. I mean, was, strategy, I guess. Yeah, it was methodical, it was wasn't it, in yeah. terms of uh, showing these people smoking heroin. I mean, it's about like a writer's block, right? It's about a period of like in creative like non-activity whatever which is sort of paralleled with his story of getting into drugs yeah definitely which is i mean there are multiple strains that are interesting thematically yeah and the stuff about memory i think is like obviously such a rich cinematic theme to explore mm -hmm. but it is logically tied together like it makes sense i mean if you can it's a it coherent to, story if you compare yeah. it to um the film we talked about on the first episode of film grey's Andre Tarkovsky's Mirror, which I think is somewhat of a cinematic precedent in terms of these, not even autobiographical films, but sort of self-portrait. Yeah, reflections, oh. reveries, recollections. Yes, yeah, trying to think. <laughs> Derek Jarman's Blue might also be in there. I'm going to talk about Mrs. Lowry and Son later. Yeah, you think that's you think that's there in terms of the? Well, in terms of what I guess it's not autobiographical yeah. though, which is maybe one of the central things when we're talking about both this film and. Right. The souvenir, as we'll get to shortly, what they achieved by delving into the past, I think, is maybe negligible in both. Instances. I guess it's an achievement for themselves or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Own... And Pain and Glory clearly re resonates with lots of people. I don't know why I'm so cold about it. I think I just found it sort of boring, man. That's and, fair enough. Um, it's a film. It's but a there were moments of like humour and okay, I found it way less self-indulgent than the souvenir. Should we move on to the souvenir? I think I'm ready to do so, yeah. Okay. I would, let's just preface it by saying it's one of the biggest critical successes of the year. Huge among film critics, largely. Oh, yeah, you posted a little um, snapshot of the... What was it? The Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes. Um, that's been brought out. I mean, out this is interesting. It's been brought out a lot about the Dave Chappelle thing, which was the other way around, which got like 0% from critics and like 100% from fans oh, or whatever. God, yeah. This had like 99% critics approval rate and like... 35? I don't know. Audience. Is, yeah, but, I mean, broadly, well, that, you know, it showed... Somewhat of a sociological like study. Like Again, it doesn't justify the fact that I thought this film sucked. Joanna Hogg is an autobiographical filmmaker, supposedly. Um, her three previous features, all of which I'm a pretty big fan of, Unrelated, Archipelago and Exhibition, seemingly are all sort of Bergman-style dramatising phenomena in her life that she can mine for sort of artistic 
worth. Yeah, okay. I'll preface this then by saying that I've seen one and a half of her other films. I watched Archipelago and I watched like half of Exhibition mm-hmm. and I just felt like I'd had enough by that point. Um, I, I guess you're right in that like she, she clearly is mining her memory and experience for like, sociological insights and like micro dramas. You know, I guess I've you see her, her work compared to like Ozu and yeah, you just right. compared it to Bergman, which yeah. I think is insane. I think the one at the front of my I mind is always insane. is always uh, Jean Renoir. You know the rules of the game. I think that's kind of what she's trying to do, right? In terms okay. of like portraying, uh, or at least that's my interpretation of all these films and the souvenir. Again, we'll get to it, but like portrayals of a doomed yeah. way of life. I, I understand what you mean, but for me, watching Archipelago, which I guess is my only other full mm-hmm. frame of rep or c- comparator with the souvenir, I just felt like it was grimly unironic. That is grim. If so, big if true, because that's really sad. That must make the films like horrifying to watch. It must be like watching Made in Chelsea or Love Island or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's nauseating. <laughs> Yeah, but okay, okay the souvenir, on, yeah, the souvenir is a pretty huge stylistic departure from her earlier work, which is way more influenced by like Michael Haneker and yeah. these kind of, or Antonioni or something yeah. like that. I guess more like governed by a sense of realism rather yeah. than um, aestheticized memory, mm-hmm. which I think is what the souvenir is, mm-hmm. or fetishized memory, perhaps yeah. more appropriately. Should we go run through the plot? Yeah. It's about. A hog analogue. <laughs> yeah, oh god, yeah. A Joanna log. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, Tilda Swinton plays Joanna Hogg's mum in this film. Like, yep. jo- Tilda Swinton and Joanna Hogg were like pals. Like, while Joanna Hogg was uh, studying film in London or whatever, she was in her student films and stuff. Apparently, the friend that comes around is based on yeah, Tilda yeah, Swinton. Yeah, they're old pals or whatever. So she plays the mum character and. Her daughter, Honor Swinton Byrne, in... Is it her debut? Yeah, she never acted before, I don't think. Yeah. So um, she plays um, the fictionalised version of uh, Julie or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This character is a film student, and the film is about her relationship with a drawling foreign office. I guess like Enigma, meant to be like a charming, bougie brand. Like a dandy or something. Yeah, exactly. Takes her to these, like... Goes to the Wallace Pala- collection. Palatial tea rooms and yeah. yeah. This guy has a dark secret, but it's not like. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Okay, basically, it's about it, it's a doomed relationship insofar as he's a, a heroin addict, and the the film has a teleological sense that basically, as soon as you you know, it's propelling towards some sort of cessation, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. Well, you think that, yeah. but it's only part one. But there is yeah. the, the, the narrative conclusion that, I guess, is traditional for these kind of stories. Um, this guy, what's his name? Tom Burke. Yeah. Okay. I've seen him in uh, War and Peace. Yeah, before. what have I seen? Oh, man. The J.K. Rowling detective thing on BBC. He's in that. What, the Robert Galbraith? Yeah, exactly. Wow, nice. Anyway, look, I think all the performances are fine. I was struggling with the fact that his performance is like a good performance. Because I just, every second he was on screen, I just like couldn't. I literally couldn't even stand the sound of his voice. I just found him, like, awful. And I guess, like, that's just my own sort of take or whatever. And I'm not 19-year-old Joanna Hogg falling in love with this, like, enigmatic, dashing, tall, dark and handsome brat. I'm a big fan of Powell and Pressburger. Yeah, Yeah, I'm a big fan of Powell and Pressburger too, but, yeah, just... (laughs) 
How did you feel? Okay, look, in general, I'm not interested in the Bildungsroman, like, coming-of-age um, narratives, right? I think they're often trite. And if it's autobiographical with what feels like a lack of self-awareness, then it's increasingly trite. Yeah, I guess if you approach it thinking that this story is just inherently trite, whatever kind of story it is, or, like, however it's told or whatever, then fair enough. I mean, I... I was really up for it and I really liked John Hogg films. I'd like checked out after like half an hour. I was like, surely this is near the end by now. Yeah. I found it um, interminable, really excruciating to get through. After an hour and a half of this, what is it, two hours? Yeah. Shand genuinely was, you know, tugging at my arm, trying to get me out of the cinema. I was so desperate to drag myself away from it, but I wanted to see it through, you know, to... Yeah, I didn't appreciate the last shot, really. What the, like... Sort of self-portrait. I don't know. Oh, okay, there. Are, I have more problems here. Before, maybe before we get onto the good bits, we, more, yeah, okay, more yeah. problems, or do you want to do good bits Let's, and then more oh, problems? I think maybe we can do good bits and then more problems. We okay, can bring on um, friend of the show, Georgi Lukacs, to sit on the third mic for, <laughs> for the final bit. Um, but yeah, I would say I like the soundtrack because it had The Fall and Robert Wyatt, but it was the two most bait songs by those respective artists. I didn't even like that. I thought the way that she kept on trying to put on, like, punk, and then he would, like, turn it off and, like, put, put on... Puccini or It's ridiculous, you know, like... Red flag. This guy likes opera. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, you like about it? Such a challenging question, Matt. Okay, I, yeah. I didn't... I enjoyed... I guess I enjoyed the performances. I thought they were good. That's not enough, though. I, I never really have... A, I never really have a problem with acting... No, I don't, I don't, I mean, unless we're talking about, like, proper B, if we're talking about mainstream films, I guess. Yeah. But if you're watching, like, a, a proper, like, B to Z movie, right. you can you can take for granted that acting You've is... still got to have an evaluative approach, I feel. There's, like, a certain kind of B movie acting that's good, and then you can be, like, bad in that, you know? I guess it's about how distracting you find the performances or whatever in a way. I found the characterizations distracting. I found the, the lack of... Um, Okay, this is a story set in the 80s in London. Yeah. Right? It's somewhat supposedly gestured at being set against, like, IRA bombings in London. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for that sure. That is in the background. Yeah, there's a bit where she, like, runs, hears an explosion and runs her window yeah. and then it's just like, all right. But it doesn't fucking but... matter, you know, even though this guy works in the foreign office, like, barely. There's one sequence, right, where they go to her parents' house and they're talking about the IRA and the the Tom Burke character. He's have he was having like a, a very gent gently spoken argument with her dad about the right way to treat those people over there and you know, these crazy Republicans or whatever. But that is a very short sequence in a pretty pretty long film you know isn't the other bit where like they're going through photos of him and like one of them he's wearing a fucking turban and he's got a beard and he was like oh yeah remember i'm in the foreign office maybe it was like a postcard from you know yeah i mean his role is questionable whatever was he even in the foreign office anyway i thought uh, it was interesting when they went to like his his parents seemed a bit more chilled out than hers which i thought was kind of interesting characterization although his dad had a very anachronistically placed copy of The Constant Gardener hardback on his shelf, which I believe came out in the mid-90s, but whatever. That and the, the Bella Balash film theory book, which I'm currently reading, were just two of many, many super distracting things in this film. 
there's also like a pretty annoying conversation about being a landlord. Oh my where god! Her friend is like, "Oh, you're such a pushover. You should just kick out your your flatmate and because his girlfriend's not paying rent." And he's like a northern guy. Kind and of. then the one, the character that's meant to be the analog of Tilda Swinton in real life, like her, like gal pal or mm-hmm. whatever. She's like, "I'm going to have to get a real job." <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like all yeah. right and there are like two there's like i think one of the first oh the God. first line of dialogue is about privilege and that is that not even would go unsaid in archipelago it's still a far more like powerful dynamic in the film than in this film where i where i feel like it was just acknowledged and then like completely disregarded also the sequences of her uh, film school where her professors are all made out to be like kind of thick-headed and repressive and she she is the one who knows the real key to the shower psycho scene in psycho <laughs> well she wants to make a film about a mother-son relationship in sunderland yeah and the, another like dynamic in the film is her journey from like learning that that's actually a stupid thing to make a film about and like the real topic for a good film is yourself which is an interesting conversation to have but i think i'd rather like critique the China Hog shipbuilding film than the China Hog Knightsbridge landlord film. And then the, there's a this couple... Is the thing, these, like, hints of class consciousness just seem so subdued. So this is what I mean when I say it doesn't feel, like, ironic or really knowing. Um, but obviously it's there. It's but just... what's the function? I don't understand its function. It's just dressing, Ar- I feel like. it's like In it's... Archipelago, mm-hmm. um, there are these tantalising scenes and they're... Uh, cook character or like uh, like maid that they yeah, like yeah, got yeah. to come on holiday with them and then there's like tension because of like the son Tom Middleton like having like wanting s- to do s- being like sympathetic wants to do the dishes her. after her and stuff um, like that but, I, but that is I don't feel surely... like it's being critical or like extra- extrapolating well, not, anything from it it's more again it's more uh, like Michael Haneke influence. if you saw like a Happy End was after that, but I feel like that displays rather similar behaviour, actually. And I think it's just quite a savage look at, like, elite exhibition, certainly, you know, is that the whole thing is about, like, are they going to sell their, like, Kensington really nice house? I just couldn't be arsed. (laughs) I think it's hilarious, man. Yeah. (sighs) On, like, some... I think I just don't get it. Yeah, fair enough. If that's an ideological project, I don't think it carries over well to um, the souvenir. Right. If anything, it's yeah. like negated by the souvenir. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it was mad different. Like, yeah. In the film comment, what's the podcast called? The Close Up. Yeah, it's really good actually. Film at Lincoln um, Center. Yeah. yeah, where they're just uh, interviews on on stage with an aud- with a live audience with these filmmakers, and um, often they're their stars. So um, there's one with Joanna Hogg, Tilda Swinton, and Honest Winter Byrne, where they're talking about uh, the casting, mm-hmm. and as you said, Honest. Honest Whitburn's like never been in been in anything before, and they were talking about like who's who's going to play me, you know? And uh, we were, they but they literally both sound the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> Joanna Hogg and Tilda Swinton. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. They sound the exact same. Obviously, I, I assume we both really enjoy Tilda Swinton as a as an actor, you know. Um, to a certain extent, I think she is a bit of an enabler of these like Guadagnino similar thing where like. <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah, like, oh, I'll just be in your film any day, whatever film you make. And now he's like Luca Guadagnino, you know. But he wouldn't have made his first film, I Am Love, without Tilda Swinton, like, appearing in it as some sort of favour. Anyway, whatever. I mean, I... I Orlando, I great film. Only Lovers Left Alive, probably my personal favourite. Dead Don't Die. Trash. 
Snowpiercer, very bait Marxist allegory, but also a pretty joke. Uh, yeah. Could have could have done with uh, a bit of bait Marxist allegory in there. <laughs> yeah, well, fuck, exactly. Okay, anyway, so they're like, oh, oh, so we were scrolling through on his Instagram friends' stories and thinking about their Snapchat. Oh, who's maybe Esmeralda? Maybe, uh, uh, no, not quite the right bone structure. Not quite aristocratic enough. <laughs> that chin is far too small. Um, and then it struck us. By Jove, it was right in front of us all along. <laughs> Young Honor sitting in the corner. Oh, get her to do it. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you can read the film as a comment about these kind of sociological phenomena and issues within like certainly British artistic Yeah, nepotism, affiliation. This is the biggest British art film of the year. I mean, yeah, a lot of filmmakers make autobiographical. A lot of British filmmakers make... I mean, Bill Douglas trilogy, Terence Davies, these are all, like, classic, you know. Yeah, are those as acritical as... Well, I guess they're not emerging from the same social class, so... And this is a timely instalment in this uh, rich artistic tradition. The one that really pisses me off is the poster quote. I don't know who it's from. It says, this feels like the only film that matters right now. What do you mean, like, in the in the Boris Johnson era? <laughs> it's my MP. Yeah, it's crazy. We're in Boris Johnson's seat. We'll get him on the pod one day. We'll turn up to surgery and be like, what do you think of the souvenir? The uh, best film of the year, the only film that <laughs> matters in this year. <laughs> if we were to compare the two films, I don't really know about the politics of Pain and Glory. In the Sight and Sound review, there's a lot of talk about um, this really big case in like, Spanish news about like a gang rape. And there's like graffiti on the wall in the sequence where he goes to pick up on the street. And they talk a lot about that in the review and talk about how like that's the foreground of the film in a way. But I don't know that's so, interesting. I don't feel like that. It's like, an interesting context, but I don't really feel mm. like that influences the the story at all, or is like no. symbolically explored. But for Joanna Hogg, who makes films about somewhat about class and somewhat about politics, I felt like the souvenir was aggressively singular. Yeah, I feel like it's like a narcissistic reverie. Yeah, and I think it's ridiculous that it's been so widely lauded. Martin Scorsese, executive produced. Yeah, I just don't... I feel like it must have something to do with, like, a huge marketing push. I don't understand, man. I and I'd, like, maybe if you feel like it reflects your experience to some extent... Oh, shit, you know what? The, um, mm. Something I did like about it. Rich Iwadi. That was a good scene. Yeah. Good performance. Yeah. Good but, acting. like, I mean, we're talking about five minutes. Apparently um, he's going to feature quite heavily in the second one. Great, I'm for it. I mean, we're going to watch this. I'm going to watch part we're two. We're going to have to. Yeah. I just feel like I'm... I'm just not sold on it. I felt more exasperated watching it than I do looking for more things to say about it right now. It was a peak viewing experience, and I went Friday morning, first screening. I was so gassed. 10am. I think that's it for the souvenir. Make part two like The Phantom of Liberty, like or like Les Miserables or something like that. You're still listening to Film Grays. Before we go, we're going to just recap, as we do, a few films we've seen recently that are worth watching, or perhaps not. I picked up a real bargain the other day in the Portobello Road Oxfam Books. A hardback of David Bellos's biography of Jacques Tetty. I got it for £3. I also got one about Howard Hawks. Real steals here. So I've been going through the filmography as I read and I watch the Jour de Fête film I've seen before. It's really jokes. As I say, it was his first film. Whereas some of his, like, Playtime is my famous film. It's all about, like, urban modernity. But this takes place in, like, a very old school village. Yeah. 
Um, no, it's a real like real. turn of the century almost. Yeah, there's like, no it feels there's, like there's so no cars. There's one yeah. motorbike. Yeah, and it's just like a physical comedy, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's just um, the main character doesn't appear until about twenty minutes in. It's just some like happenings and just some like again, yeah, it is like silent comedy, but it does have sound and the dialogue is just quite. Like, you said you learned in this um, biography that he started out as a mime. Yeah, so he didn't go to school, didn't read books, any of this stuff, and he didn't like really go to the cinema or do theatre stuff but um, he played a lot of rugby and he realised his talent for like mime and physical comedy like in like the locker rooms like after games where he picked out like the referee and all the like big moments of the game and like entertain loads of people and people like hey you should do movies or whatever and then he started writing sketches with someone else in his rugby team and then went on to making films I mean, he's a legend. He's a legendary he's, filmmaker. He's such a legend. Like, I'm really enjoying the book. I'd recommend it. If anyone wants to borrow it, hold it. And yeah, I'll probably be jumping in about more Tati films because I do really appreciate him. I like Jour de Fate mostly because it's a film about uh, this rural postman played by Tati who finds out what things are like in America and is essentially driven crazy by that, trying to emulate uh, Fordism in the rural setting. And yeah, it's crazy. That's how the autobahn got built, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, because he was a Nazi, you know. Oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Rapidite. Um, yeah. What'd you watch? I watched Mrs. Lowry and Son with my mum and my sister. It was a lovely little family outing. It's the worst film I've seen all year, actually. And last time I was utilising these films about artists and their process because it's such like a rich area. L.S. Lowry, you a fan? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, he's yeah. A, not only one of the most important 20th century British artists. I mean, as the name suggests, it's about his relationship with his mother. She's played by Vanessa Redgrave. From The Devils. From The Devils, exactly. One of my faves. Mm-hmm. And um, she's, like, infirm, housebound. She is really um, resentful, basically, about uh, having to move up north from London, I think, to, like, a working-class, like, area, basically. Oh, is that... He wasn't even from the North? No, he, like, grew up there, but he was, like... I think he was, like, born there. Um, So she's, like, really resentful, and, like, Larry himself is, like, a debt collector, basically. Oh, really? Um, Where he's, like, going around these, like, working-class communities, like, very explicitly, like, minors, and... But he's a painter... And his mum really doesn't, like, support him at all. Like, they have a really toxic relationship. Yeah, you're making this film sound pretty interesting. Yeah, dude, it's really not, though, for me. The scenes of him going around these communities that he was interested in, invested in, and uh, I guess stimulated by as an artist, Mm -hmm. they and, uh, like, the industrial environment and the people that exist within it, um, it just seems so weirdly tangential to the actual plot they it, they mm. make it clear that on a biographical level, like his relationship with his mother was like super important to his um, existence. I just feel like the weighting of the film was really bad. It felt really boring, basically, <laughs> which is crazy. The whole time there's this incredibly saccharine soundtrack, like piano arpeggios, like, like standard really, film, really sound. melodramatic and signposting, overbearing narration in the worst sense. Mm-hmm in a weird abstract sense where it's just like him like occasionally like expressing just like platitudes basically about like art and life like the souvenir like, 
Yeah, yeah, like, exactly, exactly. And they're not exactly Tarkovsky's dad's poems, you know. <laughs> they're like really like glib platitudes. Yeah. Um, also, okay, the politics of the film are the main issue for me, as well as it being like a really banal British heritage film. Let's go, man. It's always um, the main issue. It seems reverential towards his mum's conservatism, basically. Mm-hmm. Over the sort of yeah. sociological tract of his. Yeah. Mm. If you compare him to someone like Bruegel, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, though, you know, like, was he a more, like, reductive yeah, painter? Because like... he did... It's like almost pointillism, right? Like the faces in the yeah, crowd. Yeah, exactly, like exactly. She's like, it, it seemed like it was painted by a child, and like this, like embattled nature of their relationship goes throughout it. But they Doesn't take on they a political both have like and... socially isolated experiences. Mm. Besides him, like going out and like interacting with people and being influenced by them, but that seems secondary to the plot. They are like fascinated by this woman neighbor because she like wears like nice clothes. And then it turns out her husband is like a Labour MP. Yeah. And um, at one point, uh, the mum's like, oh, he's a socialist. Like, yeah. right, fine. He seems to be represented in these like third hand, <laughs> like flashbacks, right? Is this like angry man? Mm. It's just so bad. I guess like the Joanna Hogg films, they acknowledge this external political world, um, but it seems so superficial, secondary, and um, dismissive. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. My mum fell asleep. My sister had broadly similar criticisms to me. Uh, we all found it boring, which is worst of all, because like this guy had like a rich... Yeah, it's exper- Lowry, yeah. Experientially, and, like, it's such an interesting subject. Not good. One more film, maybe? Yeah, let's talk about it. A huge recommendation. Maybe my favourite documentary of all time. Ouija McConnell, the story of the Minutemen. Yeah, oh, I loved it so much, actually. They made some of the best records ever. Double yeah. Nickels on the Dime, I would literally say, is my favourite album of all time. But it's such a good documentary. It's basically Mike Watt, one third of the Minutemen, um, basically is the the main uh, narrative voice, I guess. Yeah. He like got, It's mainly about his relationship with... Dee Boone, the guitarist and singer in The Minutemen, from, like, high school onwards. In The Reactionaries and then in The Minutemen. And there's Vox Pops from people like Flea, Henry Rollins, Jay Maskis. Yeah, just so many people from... Ian Mackay. And it's just such an interesting picture. Uh, Also, uh, with these, like, because they're such brief songs, Mm. usually, like, you know, maybe a minute and a half is, like, a long one, they can afford to uh, play them in full... Um, So you get this, like, really blistering live footage which really conveys, like, what they were about as a band, but then you also get the supplementary exposition from the people who are involved and surrounding it. Mm. One thing that I really appreciated about it as a documentary is that although it ends with Dee Boone's death, they don't... It's way more of a celebration than, like, a... They they really don't, like, linger on that or fetishise it in any way. In the way that a lot of music documentaries do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's about, like, his positive legacy and not, like, the inevitable fact of death. Yeah. <laughs> the lasting thing is is not the death of D. Boone, but the legacy of, like, Jan Minicano making, like, a really cheap but, like, powerful documentary, you know, in the style of the Minutemen. A lot of it is just Mike Watt driving around San Pedro and, like, the places where he met D. Boone as a child, which may seem sort of played out or, like, hackneyed, especially in the light of uh, Neil Young Journeys, the Jonathan Demi third Neil Young documentary which is exactly the same as this but then (laughs) 
every gig, you get the impression that like every gig was different, right? Yeah, and it's such like a crazy time in in the history of that music of with all these like factions and political tensions and even like aesthetic tensions yeah. where they seem like so misunderstood at first. Yeah, they're getting spat um, on by all the punks because they're not punk enough or whatever. You know, yeah. there's a whole you know thank you for the oral or <laughs> the oral gratification or whatever Mike Watt said. But the it's live footage is just phenomenal, like best live footage ever, even when it's just like one camera VHS. Yeah, and it's just such an intimate portrait as well. And um, that's how you do confessional filmmaking for me. Beautiful film. We jam if I know the story of the minute, man. Please check it out. Thanks for listening to another episode of Film Grace. I've been Emmett. I'm Sam. Um, we'll be coming back very soon. Our next episode, we're going to be talking about recent release, Rojo. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about Franco Greco. <laughs> Is he, was he Franco? His name's, his name's Costa Gavras, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, he was a Greek filmmaker, but the, this one's in French. Zed. The, the films of Franco Greco, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Till next Cheers. Time.